You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 302. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son, hey, son! Mm-hmm. We're back 302. Okay. Right. Sooner or later, we're just going to have to get used to the fact that we are over 300 now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. I think we're up in a number range where it sounds like uh, internet errors, right? When you try to load a web page. <laughs> That's 404. 404, yeah. But I think there are some at 300 and what to, one to, I, I don't know them. Anyway, this is not an error. You are tuning in to the correct podcast, dear listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in two years' time, you're going to be tuning in to 404 as well. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stay tuned. In about two years, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but th- things not necessarily move very fast. So I understand that uh, there has been a couple of things happening, right? Like uh, Germany finally forming a government or something? Yeah, like we're not headless anymore, not nearly headless Nick <laughs> anymore, because, um, <laughs> no, to be honest, we never were headless because we had still had Angela Merkel, because that like, she will automatically remain in position until the government is formed. Yeah, but now they formed it, and Olaf Scholz, the Social Democrat representative, will lead the three-party coalition out of the Greens, the Free Democrats or the Liberals and the Social Democrats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and after 16 years of Merkel, this will be like a something else, a basically. <laughs> yeah. Does this mean that we no longer can blame Jens Spahn for everything that goes wrong in the health sector? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're going to have to find someone else to blame. Yeah, yeah. I, we will find someone. That, we don't will. Worry. We will don't worry. definitely <laughs> find that out. They built this government about two months after the election. And they said the biggest challenges they see um, is the climate crisis and COVID right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they have, have really ambitious plans for solving the climate crisis, right? Yeah. So it's like uh, phasing out coal by 2030, which is not going to be an easy task in Germany, I would say. Especially yeah. since they're phasing out all the nuclear power as well. Yeah. 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 It's like, we don't need energy. <laughs> Yeah, it's only the most power-hungry country in Europe. <laughs> yeah, right. so. yeah, and it's also like we have a big, big history with when it comes to coal. Like, mm. I don't know if you know the Ruhr area. Yes. Mm. This is almost like a huge, huge city in itself, the whole area. <laughs> I'm getting pictures of Mordor in my head when you say that. It's pretty much, yeah. I yeah. think I think that's pretty much where Tolkien <laughs> had his idea from. Like, obviously not back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, let's not start spread rumors. <laughs> Well, that's what you know us for, right? (laughs) Okay, but congratulations on getting a government. We actually got a new government as well in Sweden. (laughs) We haven't had an election, but the former prime minister or party leader of the Social Democrats decided to step down because we have an election next year and he wanted to do it before that. So now we actually have a female prime minister and party leader for Social Democrats, Magdalena Andersson. And that is, we are the latest one or the last one of the Nordic countries to get a female prime minister. But now we have one. It was is it the first time? It is the first time, and it was a bit hilarious because she was elected by the parliament. Mm-hmm. Seven hours after that, she resigned. Wow. <laughs> what? 
it's a long story, but it, w- it wasn't because she didn't want the job. It was because they voted down her budget. So she and and no, actually, that's not. I'm going to get emails. It was more complicated than that. The coalition party didn't want to be part of the government since their budget didn't go through. They'll have to go with the opposition party's b- budget. So they they said we are not going to be part of this government. And then she saw no other solution than to resign again. And uh, then there were uh, lots of negotiations for for several days. But now she is re-elected as <laughs> prime minister. And this will be a just a minority government. And it was a minority before. But then they shared it with the Greens. And now it's just the Social Democrats. And we will see how that goes. Anyway, long story. We have a female prime minister. And she has already been elected twice. <laughs> within a period of uh, two weeks or what yeah. oh, sorry not elected <laughs> selected sort of from the by the parliament yeah 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 but but still how what's what's the time frame for the for this all of this happening oh uh, well it, it happened last week and uh, it's still happening today as we record it was today oh, okay. she was uh chosen again no, oh, things are Exciting. moving fast, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I would really be happy to join in and uh, report <laughs> on a, a change of government <laughs> in Hungary, <laughs> but I'm afraid I won't. Yeah, a woman, maybe? A woman, that would be nice. That yeah. would be nice. Uh, we actually had a very nice change of uh, one of the leading opposition parties. So we do have a female leader but of there, one of the There is a woman parties. to vote for. The party that I am actually a member of, uh, mm. that is Momentum, She's a member of the European Parliament as well. She just got elected chair of the party. So mm-hmm. I'm really hopeful for the, for the party because she's she's really good. She's right. really good. So I have, I have high hopes. When is the next election? Uh, April. April, okay. So not too, yeah. so too far. Not too far, far. Not too far out. So we just need to okay. stay focused until then. Great. I just want to plug again before we go mm-hmm. into the... Uh, as we record this, it hap- hasn't happened yet, but as I plugged last week, I will <laughs> have had, by the time you hear this, <laughs> uh, Richard Saunders on a Skeptics in the Pub online in Sweden. Mm. So if you're hearing this, you, you may have missed it, but if you missed it, <laughs> my message is that it will be uploaded to YouTube soon. Really cool. Right. And I'm sure I had a blast. <laughs> It will it will be perfect, yeah. <laughs> we are excited for it. <laughs> uh, we will probably all do. All right, but we do have a show to run. And as usual, we will start with the segment that is called This Week in Skeptical History. Or Twitch. <laughs> the day that marks the occasion this week will be December the 3rd. On this day in 1933... A Dutch boy was born mm-hmm. by the name Paul Josef Krutzen. I, I don't know if that's the pr- pronunciation, but I gave it a shot anyway. <laughs> so he grew up to become an atmospheric chemist. And as one of those, he got into really high position, including getting the Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1994 for his efforts in studying both the formation and decomposition of atmospheric ozone. Atmospheric ozone, of course, being one of the allotropic forms of oxygen, but instead of forming a molecule with two oxygen atoms, it is a three-atom molecule. 
and it's forming and decomposing up in the, the upper atmosphere. And the most important part of this is that it is done through absorption of UV light, some of the UV frequencies. By that, it basically forms a shield around the Earth that's shielding us from very heavy UV radiation. That is what we call the ozone shield. He was one of the first scientists who investigated the depletion of the ozone layer. And he came up with the results that supported the fact that it was depleting. And in certain parts of the atmosphere, there are small hole-like depletions of the layer that we call ozone holes. And they are still there. We don't necessarily talk a lot about them, but they are still there. And he was involved in a lot of other things, including the popularization of the word Anthropocene. Do you know what it means? Anthropocene. Yes. Sounds like the, human. <laughs> yes, it's the human era. It's yeah, it's a, it's the era of humans basically altering the environment of the Earth because mm -hmm. it can be traced through the geologic history of the Earth, which is called the Quaternary Period. It's already accepted, largely accepted, as one of the epochs of the Quaternary Period. Some people make the argument that it's basically the same as the Holocene, but uh, Krutzen and, and his peers described it as a different thing because it was basically the time when uh, people really changed the environment. Because of a couple of his ideas, including some that uh, had to do with uh, how we fight climate change, he proposed a couple of geoengineering ideas. I think you're starting to feel that there are several things that he was involved in that have a bit of a pseudoscientific side to it. I'm not talking about him being a pseudoscientist himself, but a lot of pseudoscientists jump on these problems, these issues. So climate change, global climate change, the emission of uh, industrial gases that can affect the ozone layer out in the atmosphere and the pollution and uh, the Anthropocene as the naming part. And climate engineering or geoengineering is a big thing, especially among those who are the proponents of chemtrails and, oh. and, and all that shit. And he was also a leader in promoting the, the theory of a nuclear winter, mm -hmm. which a lot of people think of as something that is caused by nuclear bombs going off all over the world. It's not the thing. It's not. It's all the smoky elements uh, that, that fires, large forest fires and all, the, all that result, and industrial pollutions that can result in the higher and middle atmosphere accumulating a lot of particles that can block the sun. By blocking the sun, I'm not saying that it's we're going to end up with complete darkness, but it lowers the amount of uh, solar intake by the, the Earth. So mm. that's a different thing. But it's still uh, caused by the nuclear bombs, right? It could be. A lot of nuclear bombs going off could result in something similar to this, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily because of nuclear bombs. So... Paul Josef Krutzen was born on the 3rd of December 9, uh, 1933, and unfortunately he passed away this year, so on the 28th of January. 
2021. There you go. And by the way, since we are a European podcast, he, he was Dutch by origin. He was a member of the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. And at the University of Stockholm, he led the Department of Meteorology. Mm, or not, not, no, he didn't lead it, but he was a professor at the Department of Meteorology at Stockholm University. And he was also a foreign member, elected a foreign member of the Royal Society in the United Kingdom. So he was quite an, an accomplished man. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Interesting personality. <laughs> yeah. And his wife was from Finland. So... He led quite an international, international guy. life. <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving on to finding out what's going on at um, the Pope Serve. So, Pontus, do you have something to poke him for? Absolutely. In 2015, which was just before we had launched the podcast and before any poking on my part had started... <laughs> Francis made the most significant reform in centuries in the Catholic marriage rules. And I don't want to call it marriage law, because I don't think religion should be allowed to make laws. But anyway, that, that <laughs> they call it a law, I guess. What he did was both very radical and hypocritical, in my view, uh, at the same time. According to the church doctrine, marriage is for life, as we know. No takes his backsies. Of course, that only works in fantasy land, not in the real world where we all live. I mean, by all means, uh, if you want to stick together for life, go ahead, do it. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. Ahead, yeah. But yeah, don't it's, it's, impose that on every other couple if they are unhappy and don't want to do it. So what was it that he did then, uh, Frankie? Because of this doctrine, divorce cannot be recognized by the church, but you can get around it by annulling the marriage by annulment. And this means that you pretend that the marriage never happened. <laughs> and apparently God can't see through that kind of technicality. So this was not a, this is not a new concept, not something that Frankie invented. Popes have been able to nullify marriages like forever, and they have done so with varying enthusiasm in different times of history. But it is clearly impractical and stupid in my opinion to to pretend that the marriage never happened, just allow the divorce. So, but why is it so important to get a nullification if you are already divorced in the real world? Because you can go to the secular law and get a divorce if you're Catholic. That's not a problem. It's not just because you want to remarry uh, as a Catholic. That is, of course, part of it. But it's also because if you are divorced, you cannot participate in the communion. So it always comes back to the crackers, doesn't it? <laughs> the holy crackers, always. Yeah. So what Francis did in 2015, finally we'll get to that, he implemented much easier rules to nullify marriages. He gave every uh, bishop the power to do so, and he, he took away some sort of secondary approval that was in place before, and there were some time-consuming reviews and stuff, and he also made sure that it was free for couples to get a nullification, or whatever you call it. They no longer charge anything for the procedure. So that's the backstory. A divorce that technically is not a divorce because that would make God mad should be easier to obtain. That was the idea. So that was six years ago. The problem is that in practice, not much has happened. The bishops are dragging their feet and they just haven't gotten around to implement much of this new system. So last week, Frankie said, like, 
enough already. Get your act together, people. I'm the bloody Pope I am, and I tell you what to do, and you do it. Okay. <laughs> he didn't use exactly those words. But what he did do was to appoint a committee to uh, drive the reform in Italy. So why Italy? Technically, I guess his word is law in all dioceses, in all the countries, but he is also the primate of Italy, head honcho of the Italian church. So primate of Italy is a good <laughs> title. I don't think we use, we use it enough because it, <laughs> makes it, yeah, it makes him sound like he's a big silverback gorilla. And I <laughs> <Yes>. like that <laughs> idea. Well, technically, he is definitely a primate, but we all are then. We all are, and he doesn't know it, just he thinks he's the only primate. But now, as the big primate has spoken, we'll see if anything changes and people can have an easier time pretending to never have been married. To be continued, and that's that's my poking for this week. Well reserved. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, after a bit of peaky pokey, let's see what's going on around Europe. Yeah, and uh, something that has been going on around Europe is something that's not completely new to us because there has been a vaccination denier in Austria who failed to cure himself of COVID and uh, subsequently died. He Such is... an original story, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not like <laughs> it's something we, we heard a lot before. He was one of the most prominent vaccination deniers of, of Austria and from Austria. And he didn't want to be treated in hospital for his COVID uh, infection. Hmm. He uh, tried to cure himself with MMS, this miracle uh, cure (laughs) that goes back to Jim Humble, but also got recommended by Donald Trump, for example. And uh, Johann Biaxix was his name. He came to hospital on the 11th of November, having already taken chlorine dioxide against his fever. And he was confident that he actually already was cured of COVID. Like he said, it's not COVID, <laughs> thanks to this uh, chlorine dioxide. And he vehemently didn't want to get treated, despite warnings of the doctor that it's life-threatening if he leaves now, because he had he was really sick, and uh, he left the hospital out of his own willing, <laughs> like willingly. And had at home, he took an IV of chlorine dioxide and saline solution. And died two days later. Did he know how to administer an IV on himself? He was, a, was a doctor or something? That's a good question. I didn't really find that information. But we know that like to do an IV, you you just need to physically do it. Like You don't have to be a doctor to do that. I wouldn't. So I, I think I'm quite well versed in my own anatomy, but I would still <laughs> not dare do that. You would Me, neither. Mean, I would... Me neither. Me <laughs> neither. And not with bleach either, right? <laughs> Especially not with bleach. MMS yeah. is industrial bleach, basically. Yeah, but I, I know several people who are allowed to drive an ambulance, but are not doctors. And they sometimes do that if they're just like, oh, yeah, I feel bad. I'll just take some saline solution. And I mean, so it is possibly don't have to be a doctor to know how to do that. But yeah, he he claim, always claimed having inside information. And now, of course, his believers, they are saying that he didn't die of COVID. And probably oh, died no. of the bleach. Yeah, never <laughs> know. Probably, probably. But this like, is yeah. getting. I, I I was confused for a second. I mean, because we did, didn't we have that news last week? But that was an Italian homeopath. Yes, same yes. thing. Yes. Per, yes. People insisting to treat themselves and then they just die. Yes. My God. 
Yeah, this is just like an epidemic in and of itself. A- epidemic of stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> but that is spreading very, very fast. So that means that there are a couple of countries where massive protests are going on. Like Belgium, in, in Brussels, there have been a couple of thousand people out in the streets. And uh, the Netherlands, where several days in a row there were massive protests. But the uh, the other place is uh, Austria. So going back to Austria, (laughs) where we started this, uh, we reported last week that as of this Monday, Austria is going back to a full lockdown. And right away, people went out in the street to protest against the full lockdown. Well, arguably, the lockdown is not necessarily the best solution, especially in times of such public unrest. But it's drastic measures that you have to take when the numbers are growing so drastically as they do in uh, in Austria. But the problem is that the reporting on these issues and the reporting on these um, protests is going back to the ridiculous land of idiocy. Uh, (laughs) What am I talking about? A photo on Facebook is making the round that shows tens of thousands of people out on a square protesting against something, or at least they are out in the square, so we don't know what they do. The post says that it's the people in Vienna who are protesting and how beautiful it is that the vaccinated and unvaccinated stand together for for what is right. And uh, there is one teeny tiny issue with that picture. It's been known since AP fact-checked this uh, a long time ago. The, The original photo was not even taken in Vienna, but it was taken in Moscow. It's so stupid. Why don't people... <laughs> people? It is easy to check those things on the internet. Why don't people know that? Yeah, but in 2012, the photo ha- has already made its own rounds. There were widespread uh, protests in Moscow, and uh, they used the same photo. And even back then, it was already a fake photo because it wasn't taken in the same spot as those protests. And it was taken 20 years earlier, in 1991, when there was a protest going on against the government of and President Mikhail Gorbachev. Mm. Oh, So we're talking about a photo that's already 30 years old. And it was manipulated as well to cover a couple of small glitches in the photo for its use in 2012, where it didn't really hit anyone on the head that it was not the same place where the 2012 protests took place. And now, if you look around Google Maps and uh, you try to identify the buildings in the square, you can identify the buildings. So it's uh, the Monish Square in Moscow. (laughs) But the photo wasn't... So it's definitely not Vienna. So in Vienna, there were thousands of people out in the street, but we're not talking about tens of thousands or a hundred thousand people as in the 1991 protest in Moscow. So ridiculous people. How do you want anyone to take you seriously if you don't do your homework? So please go and check your sources first. If you're going to fake something, (laughs) fake it good. That's our message. Yeah. Yeah. Do a good fake, yeah. <laughs> good fake. Go for deep fake, yeah. <laughs> all right. You mentioned a lot of protests. Uh, so with all of these protests going on in different countries against COVID passes, especially out there, one would think that putting it to the vote would be a bad idea. 
But uh, last weekend's referendum in Switzerland about implementing so-called COVID certificates ended up with a yes, uh, with nearly mm-hmm. two-thirds of the votes in favor. Uh, the turnout was 67%, which is good. Uh, means that people care. First of all, they, it means that they care. But it also mm-hmm. means that the result has good legitimacy uh, going forward. But it also means, we shouldn't forget, that it means that just over a third of the voters voted against the idea. And there have been protests in Switzerland in connection with this, and I believe some violence as well. And it means people are divided in the issue and it's not good for the future. We talk about this division of the society into different groups. It could be political, it could be... COVID, anti-COVID restrictions, things like that. And it creates problems in the in the society, I think. But I also think that the results are interesting because the protesters in whichever country it is are always the loudest of the two parts, right? You never hear from the people who support restrictions. And you may get a false impression that most people object to COVID passes or COVID restrictions, but it turns out that's not the case. Mm. Well, it might be so in Switzerland, but a Dutch study just came out. Oops, that was uh, <laughs> that was trying to determine whether conspiracy beliefs predict a certain health-related behavior in the times of the pandemic. They did a multi-wave panel study in the Netherlands. I, I don't know how familiar are you with the uh, the concept, but a panel study is when you you analyze the same sample over a longer period of time. At several points, you identify the variables that you want to con- you, you want to check. The study itself had three time points, but the actual results were worked with with only the beginning and the end of that time scale. And we're talking about a timescale between April 2020 and December 2020. So they examined how prone these people were to conspiracy beliefs and uh, identified a couple of things with regards to what the outcome of the pandemic for them was. I mean, financially, career-wise, their health-related actions and their health-related outcomes, what were they exactly? And the results showed something that we all expect, in a way. Conspiracy beliefs about COVID-19 prospectively predicted, first of all, a decrease in the likelihood of people getting tested for corona, The more they were prone to conspiracy beliefs or believing conspiracy theories, the less they were willing to test for corona. And even if tested, it meant that the more they were into conspiracy theories, they were more likely to test positive if they got tested. Mm-hmm. And violation of corona regulations were much higher among those who were into the conspiracies as well. And the economic outcomes were much worse. And that was quite a large sample size. Close to 6,000 people they followed over this period of time. And they weighted the sample to try to provide a nationally representative estimate. Interestingly, though, the effect could be identified. But at the beginning, the number or or the level of conspiracy belief was not very high 
even among those who were prone to believing those conspiracy theories. So in conclusion, there is definitely something that can be identified as a connection or association between conspiracy beliefs and negative life outcomes in pandemic situation. The more someone believes in conspiracies, the less likely they are to cope well with the situation and with the p- uh, pandemic over a period of time. But that's only what they want you to think, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So mm. data and pieces of research like this really shows you how powerful the application of scientific methods to even social phenomena can be and uh, how you have to identify these issues and address them accordingly. It was done on the Dutch population. There might be a couple of issues with the protocol, but uh, as far as I can tell, uh, because it's freely available on the Cambridge University Press... Open access, we like that. Yeah, so it's freely available, so you can you can check it out. But as far as I can tell, there are no serious flaws in the protocol. It's quite a brilliantly designed study, yeah, in the discussion, they do acknowledge that uh, there are a couple of uh, variables that they could not control, control for, and uh, they know exactly the limitations of their uh, results. But uh, I couldn't agree more that these have to be researched further. Mm. These are the phenomena that we know need to know much more about. All right, let's leave COVID and conspiracy theories for a second. I'm trying Yay! every week to do <laughs> that, but we'll see where we go. But of course, I will talk about religion, so maybe <laughs> <laughs> some sort of balance there. So from time to time, I talk about uh, religious or confessional schools, what we here in Sweden know as, as free schools. Actually, not all free schools are religious, but a lot of them are. The policy in Sweden has turned over the last few years and the new rules are roughly that established free schools may continue to operate for the time being, but no new permits are being issued. So it was an interesting test of this system when one religious organization recently asked permission to transfer the responsibility of an existing free school to another religious organization. And that was refused by the Swedish authorities. We're not talking about creating a new school or just moving over the management of an existing religious school to another religious organization. And that other, the new religious organization, is actually not new. And they have already uh, another school under their management. And uh, But they were not allowed to manage the other one. So um, they, th- that's an interesting. I think that gives me a little bit of hope. Now, in, in practice, hope because I don't like <laughs> religious schools. in practice there's been no effect of this in this case because they will just not do the transfer then they said and the school will remain as before but it is a sign that Swedish authorities mean what they say and that the climate in Sweden has turned quite a lot against confessional schools and that's good we should keep God out of the classroom yes (laughs) Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I, while I wholeheartedly agree that God should be kept out of classrooms, I also think that stupid people should be kept out of... Uh, um, Our sight. Outside, yes. <laughs> well, sorry, that was a bit of a weak segue in my regard. I wanted to say out of hospitals, but that's not really fair. So I'm like, 
Yeah, mm. whatever. Um, there's a new study out about the queer denker movement. So these COVID denying people. This study wanted to find out why the movement is so strong in the federal country of Baden-Württemberg, mm. which is close to Bavaria. It's in the south of Germany. The study was done by Professor Oliver Nachtwey and uh, Dr. Nadine Frey. And it's explorative, not representative. So it's not an empirical study. Mm-hmm. And they found out that the movement is mostly made out of anthroposophic groups, evangelical groups, and esoterics. They aptly named it coming from the left and moving towards the right. So people in there would have voted the Greens before, but would now either vote the AFD, like the very right-wing party, or not at all. They have the leftist culture and the rightist politis- politization heard some Australianisms there as well politization politization and this means that it's a very toxic mix most people are from the middle class so educated and they have a general anti-authoritarian and generally suspicious feeling around mm-hmm. there yeah um, criticism in these groups works for itself and is standing for itself and they have a lot of anger against the establishment and against the government but they never present or usually don't present solutions so i think that's like a very good characterization pretty much of the querdenker movement and i'll be excited to see more studies also maybe empirical studies to tell us more about that yeah mm. right I, I think we should point out that uh, they're not necessarily stupid these are people who have been radicalized by uh, they've lost faith in society basically they feel betrayed for one reason or another they feel let down nobody cares about them and that makes them very angry and they look for radical solutions yeah exactly Mm. and and some of them are also like very misinformed and um yeah yeah yeah. And, and let's be very clear the ideas are stupid, but the people are not necessarily stupid. Exactly. <laughs> Love the sin, not the sinner. No, that's what then was it was. Wrong yeah, there's, there's there's always some always a reason behind the way people think. And it's very rarely stupidity, but it's still more frequent, I think, the reason is stupidity than uh, malice. Yes. Yeah. We are very quick uh, usually in associating some actions with malice, but it's it's very rarely the case. Yeah. It's uh, Hanlon's razor <laughs> is what it's <laughs> often referred to as. Do not attribute to malice that which can be attributed to stupidity or something like that. <laughs> I just want to finish on something that I cannot leave out here. I think it's brilliant. Did you know that Catherine the Great, the Empress of, of Russia, was a great proponent of vaccination? Nope. Mm, no. Didn't know that. No. She did back in um, the day, the 1787, uh, the smallpox vaccine was making its round. It reached Russia as well. Catherine the Great, in a letter written on April the 20th, 1787, she stressed the importance of the smallpox vaccine to the Count of Malorussia which is modern-day Ukraine. She was not only a great supporter of this, and she wanted her people to be vaccinated, but she herself got vaccinated, and even her son, uh, Paul. Pretty good stuff. But why I want to mention it, if you have a lot of money on your hands and you want to get rid of them, hold of that latter, (laughs) 
that letter is going on auction on December the 1st mm. in London at McDougall's auction house. According to experts, it might be worth, that freaking letter might be worth $1.6 million, which equals to about 1.442 million euros. That's experts at the Moscow Times. And that brings me to another thing that a couple of days ago, Albert Einstein's handwritten notes for the theory of relativity hit a massive record sale at an auction in Paris. 11.6 million euros were paid for that freaking note. (laughs) So there are science enthusiasts out there who have a shitload of money. That's what this means. (laughs) So people, if you want to do something important and, well, useful, (laughs) please fund people who try to disseminate science. And you will do the whole world a great favor. So instead of paying 11.6 million euros for a freaking note, you know how many people you could fund for years and for how many years in this business? A lot. So please do that instead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And to fund people that's doing something with science and skepticism, Hey, I've got a really good idea what people could do. Do you guys also have a good idea? (laughs) I think I know what you're thinking. There are ways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the idea I had was like the Patreon page that that this podcast has that I I listen to and I'm also part of. Right. So, (laughs) yes, go to patreon.com slash the ESP and you don't have to send us 11 million euros or whatever it was. Just a couple of euros, dollars per episode will do nicely. Thank you very much. But it's a great help, really, it is. Yeah, it won't fund us. I mean, we're not going to make a living out of it, but at least we're not going to have to spend our own money on this project that we've been running for six years and that it requires a lot of expenses like uh, equipment and uh, the web page, running the web page and all that. So, yeah, that's a great help. Thank you very much. Yeah, we also have conferences coming up in uh, next year. And so we really need your money, guys. But And we, you also don't have to put in much. No. Yeah. Like even one euro per month would help us if 300 people do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. And with that in mind, we are moving on to the next segment of this show that we're doing, which is when we find out who's been really wrong lately. Yes. And I think we will need help from our listeners with the pronunciation here. Please uh, send your pronunciation as a recording to info at the esp.eu if I pronounce this next name wrongly, which I will. Adam Nidzilski is the health minister of Poland uh, in the government led by PIS, like I want to call them, or they prefer (laughs) to be called Law and Justice. PIS is the Polish abbreviation, I understand. So, Again, we note that parties tend to put words in their name to confuse people, Law and Justice. Uh, If you have to put Law and Justice, isn't everybody for law and justice. Let's just well, try yeah. to, to... No, we're not unlawful. We, we're not unfair. So we'll put it in the 
Okay, never mind. <laughs> but, it, but it implies that it's not it's not there yet. So we we <laughs> yeah. are needed to achieve that. Yeah, exactly. As health minister, you would think that Mr. Nidzilski would want to protect the people from the ongoing pandemic. (laughs) Not so. Last week, he again, because he's done this before, claimed that restrictions are not effective against COVID. Now when we have the vaccines, he said, and we have improved the organization of the healthcare system, restrictions are unnecessary and do more harm than good, and they they cost too much. The only thing restrictions do is relieve the hospitals. But Poland now has less COVID hospitalizations than a year ago. The rate of the population that are fully vaccinated is close to 60%, he says. Mm. All right. So let's have a look at that. Let's fact check what he just said, shall we? 60% vaccinated is not a good number, actually. The EU <laughs> average is 67%, and that average includes, for instance, Bulgaria, which is at 25%. But it also turns out that when Nidzilski says close to 60, he actually means 54%. Strange math on his part there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. So it's somewhat was, close. It's closer than 30%. wasn't quite right there. wasn't quite right there. <laughs> So are hospitalizations from COVID lower now than it was a year ago? Yes, they are. It's 19,000 instead of 22,000. It's not that big a change. So I don't think you can uh, claim victory just yet. Mm -hmm. Then you could look at other numbers. The current average number of deaths per million per day in Poland from COVID is 8.4. That's twice the EU average. And it is rising sharply and has done for quite a few weeks. Speaking of deaths, we have talked about before that uh, deaths get registered in different ways. So it's not always they get registered as COVID deaths. It's, it, there is always a gray area. Is it a COVID-related death or was it a heart attack? Maybe that person had COVID death. Oh, sorry, had COVID <laughs> a few weeks before. So, you know. You don't know how. So it's easier to to look at excess mortality instead. Mm -hmm. Well, the excess mortality in Poland is 25%, which is the fifth worst in EU. And I bet you that some of that, a lot of that is related to COVID. And then I just think he, he just happened to say the quiet part out loud. PiS is a populist party, which means that they try to play into what it's popular, not what necessarily is good. And he pointed mm-hmm. out that restrictions would provoke protests. And I think that's the problem. It's more important for him to be liked by the voters than to take measures to protect the public and to be responsible. So for being a populist, a coward and a health hazard to the people that it is his job to protect, the health minister for the Polish party, Piss gets today's prize for being really wrong. Well and, deserved. <laughs> yeah. And I will point Taking out... Taking a piss, are we? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Maybe we should rename the prize because this is not the first time that piss has gotten this <laughs> award. They have actually received it three times before over Ooh. the years. But that's yeah, okay. That's quite an achievement. That's okay. I have plenty left to give out. <laughs> I, th- I imagine you have like a whole shelf full of have, really yes, wrong, yes, you can't really see them now, yeah, but they're all <laughs> <Yeah. here. laughs> they, they stack really well. <laughs> all right, thank you very much, Pontus. Mm-hmm. 
And that means that we are about to conclude the show, but before we go, we need a quote. Annika. Yeah, and our quote is by Paul Krützen, and you might uh, have heard mm. this name before. <laughs> he was a Dutch <laughs> scientist. He was in Twish today. <laughs> he lived from 1933 to 2021. And he says, and I, I can only assume that he was probably talking about climate change, but he says, imagine our descendants in the year 2200 or 2500 they might liken us to aliens who have treated the earth as if it were a mere stopover for refueling or even worse characterize us as barbarians who would ransack their own home Ooh. yeah yeah that's strong Di didn't <laughs> mean his words strong. no yeah all right thank you very much Annika. thank you that really concludes our show and uh, because of that I'd like to thank both of you, Onika and Pontus for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so and until next week goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Wislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast.eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can It's all because you have notes. No, you yeah, shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I don't know what's happening. Okay. Uh, sorry. <laughs> mm, that was nice. <laughs> the segue didn't work, so I had to start over. Anyway, I'll just read it what I said. <laughs> Is there an ambulance car? Oh. <laughs> you you are allowed to drive an ambulance, even if. Or what was it? I would be allowed to drive an ambulance car, actually. Mm -hmm. Not for me, but. Were we done with Pontus? We are was... very done with me. Okay. <laughs> exactly one hour. Hey, of hey, hey. No, Fuck me. Okay. <laughs> Wie